Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. My name is Jeremy Mercer, and I am your host today. I serve as Director of Post-Acute Community Strategy for NetSmart. I'm excited about our guest today, Doug Leidig from Asbury Communities. The topic for today's episode is on redefining the expectations of aging. With more than 10,000 Americans turning 65 each day, the baby boomers are about to make their mark on the post-acute industry as they look for a new aging experience and will help to shape what the future of our industry looks like. Let's go ahead and get started. Doug, please share a little bit about yourself and Asbury Communities. Well, fine. Thank you. Thank you very much for including me in today's podcast. It's always exciting just to talk about our industry and, and the future and, and the, the world of possibilities. Uh, my name is Doug Leidick. I'm CEO of Asbury Communities. I've been CEO for about six years now. been with Asbury for 20 years in multiple, uh, multiple positions. I've actually been in the field for um, 30 seven years, starting out at 16 when I was a nursing assistant. So I've uh, I've seen a lot of changes in the industry, which has excited me even more about the future and the possibilities. Asbury Community was founded in 1926. We currently serve uh, over 4,500 older adults, and we have 2,800 associates. We're the 17th largest not-for-profit uh, senior living organization based on the Ziegler Top 200. And our business lines include uh, the CCRCs, an IT company, home care, home health. With our recent affiliation with Albright, we now have a pharmacy and a PACE, and we have several HUD communities as well. So we operate eight communities in three states. So that's a little bit about who we are. Very good. And I would say, uh, you know, in the 20 years uh, that you've been part of Asbury, it sounds like there's been a lot of change. We have. We've we've grown. We've uh, started new business lines. We've had some successes. We've had some failures. We've had some start to stop. So yes, it's uh, it's been a constant evolution, which I think has really been exciting to and 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 why we have actually a lot of longevity in our organization uh, beyond myself. Absolutely. The evolution is, a, I think, a key point to this industry and, and probably feeds into um, the topic of today really well. And, you know, I'm curious, why do you think it's so important to redefine the expectations of aging? Sure. I, I think, that, you know, there's probably two main reasons. One is I'm convinced that that is the only way true healthcare reform will work. I think senior living needs to be viewed as an asset in healthcare reform. And, and, and oftentimes we're, we're, the, we're the afterthought. And I think we have a tremendous amount of opportunity and expertise and assistance to bring to the process. So that's one. And then two is just for the survival of our industry. You know, often you hear people say, you know, we, we hear people view that as the old folks home or that's, you know, where you, you go for the last stages of life. And, and we have come such a long way as an industry with that. And, and that's not who we are. You know, we're, we're a lifestyle. We offer lots of lifestyle, lots of opportunities. And it's viewed much more as the next chapter in people's lives, not as the last chapter. And, you know, you, unfortunately, you saw it portrayed that way through COVID. I mean, the, the, there are some bad apples, unfortunately. And, and that was sort of the what people view, right? But yet at the same time, when you look at our industry, the success stories and the and, and the, the residents who lived on our campus that didn't have to go through as much isolation as people independent of themselves. So there's so much good work being done and, and it's evolving that uh, we need to change that way because you know I, I'll even go back to when I was in college in, in the early 80s. 
you know, my undergrad degrees in, in long-term care administration, and people looked at me like, well, why do you want to do that? That's what retired ministers did, right? Mm-hmm. But I knew there was so much more excitement and opportunity in, in the field. So that's sort of where I'm at. But in order for that to happen, there's so many things we have to do as an industry. I mean, we're, we're not there yet, but we have to start taking on that mindset. Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, to your point around the true healthcare reform and kind of how the industry's viewed, the um, kind of naming convention around post-acute means that, you know, inevitably there is an acute care stay. And the reality is that everything that most providers are working towards is all to prevent that. So, you know, it, it seems like by definition, perhaps the industry set up as a I wouldn't say an afterthought, but not as a preventative part of healthcare. You're exactly right. And then when you you couple that with what the boomers are going to be, you know, the boomers are going to be something unlike this industry has never had. You know, we typically you, you, with the with you know with the greatest generation, the GI generation, you could put them all in a box, and they had four or five characteristics that sort of defined them very well. These boomers are going to be all over the place. I mean, everything from you know the wealth. They're going to have. There's a lot that have a lot of wealth. There's a lot that won't have a lot of wealth. There's going to be a group that have embraced wellness and that haven't embraced wellness. There's going to be a group that has you know your typical family structure and then you're going to have the new family structure and 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 dynamics and people that want to live in one place but want to travel. I mean, so I think that that's going to create lots of opportunities but a lot of challenges. And and that's when I talk about changing the way society views aging. That's what I'm talking about. You know, we're not going to be able to serve all, but as a collective, we can really meet a lot of needs, and it, but it's going to be a challenge for us. Absolutely. Well, and and you know, the traditional CCRC or life plan community models has felt like it's been um, catered towards, let's say, the higher end of the income population, and you know, there's a lot of talk around this middle market, which may or may not have the means to really join, you know, the traditional life plan community model. So I do you see that as kind of one of the fundamental shifts in the industry of, you know, changing the expectations of how you serve the boomers? Absolutely. And that and that goes to the whole aspect that there's going to be that large middle market income level. And it's very interesting when you when you say middle market or or lower middle, whatever words you want to use, the definition of that is so vast. I mean, yeah. you have some that view that as, you know, some people that make less than 20,000 a year, but others that make less than 75. So, you know, what's that really mean is, is, is how is going to be just as critical in the, in the future and the success of it as possible. And I think there's no reason that organizations can't have multiple levels, sort of a, you, know, you think of a Marriott or a Hilton, you know, they have different brands, everything from the Ritz down to, you know, the courtyard right. to, there's no reason we can't do the same thing and still serve more as part of our missions as an offer profits. So I think that's the mentality and thought process we have is we don't we can no longer do the cookie cutter. We have to create and there's opportunities to do that. And you can do it very successfully, but you have to diversify. You know, one one of the things that have come out of this is, is in terms of, you know, as you step back and look at COVID and, and, and what it's forced us to do. I'm convinced, and, and I'm leading Asbury now down, that we're becoming a diversified aging services organization. It's no longer just CCRCs. It's the home care, the home health, the pharmacies, these other opportunities that we can help serve more. And maybe you know we don't have a CCRC product that's lower income, maybe, but but we serve the greater community yeah. through these other through these other services. So that's where I'm thinking, and and collaborating with others to do that is is going to be critical for this. 
Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, you you touched a little bit about COVID and kind of the perception that you know the the media has created around you know the I would say more residential part of you know post acute care. You know, how has Asbury been impacted by COVID? I think you know very typical to everybody else, you know, but, and it impacted us to the point where it actually galvanized us as an organization because it was, it was sort of the common enemy, if you will. So, so we rallied all our resources, both locally and at the, at the system level to help fight this because our job was to assure a safe living environment for the residents and a safe working environment for our associates. So I think that, you know, one of the things that we realized during this process is, we didn't realize how many distractions we had from our, our day-to-day job. And when, when you stop all that, when that just abruptly stops and everybody's focused on, on making sure that we provide those the safe living environment, you step back and say, okay, so coming out of this, what do we do differently, right? Do, don't jump, drop back into the old habits. And, and how much right. better were we? How much more agile did we become? How much better decision-making? Right. So we were really impacted, but it, but it's it was impacted in a great way that – we're spending time looking out and saying, okay, so what, what do we keep going? You know, what, what, what good habits do we pick up and let's do that. And what can we stop and make sure it doesn't come back in? Absolutely. Well, and you know, you kind of think about redefining the expectations. I think part of, you know, what you're saying is you've got to learn from this and use that as a way to rebuild confidence among what your, your target resident or, you know, member would be because you know the media like we we mentioned has kind of put a, a negative slide on it and it it sounds like you're using what you've done as a way to say hey look we are you know actually very safe and these are all the ways that we changed to be better for you know our residents our staff etc absolutely and and it's a great story to tell and again as an industry we don't tell our story well enough, right? And that's that's on us. We need to do that better. And we have a lot of good stories to come out of this. But to your point of saying, you know, well, we learned that we could be more agile. We learned that we could stop a lot of the distraction, but it emphasized a lot of things we were doing well. For instance, you know, the technology, you know, we have our own technology company. Well, we were able to say, okay, let's reassess our strategic plan for our IT company and really focus on that infrastructure. And then we started saying, okay, well, we've talked about data, but let's really go from data to AI and let's get smarter about that. So, so we've been able to redirect some of our, our initial strategic planning because COVID truly is a strategic, it's a strategic plan um, alternative right so we have to do things a little differently and, and and we're really leveraging that and so not only from the technology from the way we work but also the way we communicate and the way uh, we can enhance the lives of residents and I think there's two camps that come have come out of covid with with our industry one who absolutely have bought into this right so they, they say okay it's a safe place I have friends that lived in a community isolation wasn't really an issue because they had you know their neighbors and they were like-minded so they could they could get together and, and, and outside or different different opportunities but there's also the group that says look i am never going to go into retirement community because i don't want large areas just this is very similar way you hear people moving out of the cities i don't want to be in that so i want to be isolated so there's going to be two camps but we can serve and help both and how do we how do we do that and what are the opportunities so there's a lot of things that have happened just when you step back and start really looking at it and saying okay what did this present to us because i think there's lots of opportunities now coming out of this and have you found that your your team or your staff has been really receptive to you know using technology 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the fortunate part is we've been working with technology for a while, and we've been piloting robots. We've been piloting some different things, so it creates that thirst, and definitely through this process. The other one that that really helped us with the technology is, you know, we and COVID is we realized how important communication is, not only for our residents, but we we set up a microsite on our uh, website, and we ended up having I think uh, over thirty-two thousand page visits, and we were very transparent with our data. Daily, we updated COVID deaths, COVID cases, residents, associates. But we also knew that about two years ago, we had a group say, look, we send out a lot of communication, but we have a lot of associates who don't have email every day. So they came up and we had a, a like an innovation. It's called, it was called Spark Tank. It was a little fun mm-hmm. event that the, res, uh, that the associates said, let's partner with a, what was called Ready App. And now people, our associates can download ready app and instantly we have communication going so if they're sitting at home and an email comes out about an update about covid they could access right on their own phone if an open shift came up no longer do we have the nursing people having to call people and say i've got an open shift they put it out on ready app and you can you can go ahead and click on it from from your home our associate app went from um and i just had some statistics i, I think i heard it was like 87 percent of our associates have now downloaded that app wow so that's that's pretty tremendous when but it's also the realization is like you didn't realize how many people you were missing initially right. because it was something hung up at the at the time clock or, or along those lines yeah so yeah we've, we've learned a lot and and um then and then through the email and the microsoft or the microsite we went from normally emailing 219 family members who have signed up to well over 3,000. And now on a daily or weekly basis, we're emailing and touching and and, and communicating so much better. I think that's helping us tell our story. That's helping to say, you know, uh, eliminate a lot of rumors and has also answered a lot of questions. For sure. I mean, it, it sounds like it's really bringing the team together, rebuilding confidence, especially in these trying times. And now, are you feeling um, that the the residents have really uh, bought into kind of the the model you guys are setting up? And you know, how has the the resident experience evolved because of you know COVID and you know how how your organization is responding? And, and that's a, that's a good question, and and it really depends on the level of care. I mean, so if you're independent living, at first they were all in on this and they were like the temperature checks and the screening and leaning. But once the, you know, because we were operating in three states, we had, you know, when COVID first came out, you know, every state, every county was different. So we were able to sift through a lot of that at the system level. So we were trying to operate in these different states, but the residents on the independent living were were very, uh, they embraced it. But when the governors or the local authorities started opening up the local community, Right. We were still pretty, you know, restrictive in terms of just protecting the residents. So then it was starting a pushback, like, well, why am I, why can my friend who lives in his own house go golfing, but yet I start to go through all these check-ins, check-outs, right. things like that. So we we learned a lot, you know, to, to that we couldn't. For the first two months, we did everything from a system perspective, no matter what level. But then we started breaking it into the different levels of care. Nursing home residents, to be honest with you, I'm still very concerned about in terms of just as an industry. There's still a lot of isolation going on. You know, we're still pretty restrictive in 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 the states, and and there and and you know we had the flu season and everything else coming up. 
there is a it's a mental toll on our residents and our in our skilled nursing facilities and, and, and communities. And so we have to do a lot to make sure that we address isolation. And we're trying to do everything we can. And that's where the robots come in. That's where, mm-hmm. you know, the FaceTiming and the interactions and trying to create up create the safe uh, you know hugging stations and things yeah. like that. Because the longer this continues to go on, there's there's more and more risk of that. Absolutely. Well, and I, I've um, been following your all social media for quite a while, and I've noticed that you guys have really stepped up. You know, your staff has really leaned in to try to create that engagement in times of isolation. And, and you know, how has that been felt and received by your residents? It's a family. I, th- I think our, our industry in general, when you when you have a community, it's it's around family because everybody does become very attached to yeah. each other. So there were not decisions being made that were for any other reason but for either pr- promoting that safe living environment or promoting that safe working environment. Right. And it, and everybody really just embraced it and, and got behind that. And and there were a lot of you know obviously story after story of associates going above and beyond, residents giving back. You know, yeah, yeah it, they 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 were just as involved. I'm just as proud of them as anything is saying, right. hey, we we understand people are leaving their families to come here and take care of us. We're going to give back. So it's really heartwarming. It's, it tells a great story, and 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 that's the good stuff that unfortunately just gets you know pushed aside when when you talk about the news. For sure. Well, uh, those don't make as, as great of headlines as you know right. some of the alternatives. But yeah, I mean, you you can tell the the authentic and genuine um, happiness of, of both the staff and the residents. You know, whenever you see the photos that are out there, and you know, it's truly being felt and appreciated, or at least you can see it in uh, what you guys are putting out there. So you know, uh, thanks for for all you guys do in terms of making sure that your residents and your staff are are filling appreciated and, you know, getting that time because we know isolation can be, um, have really negative effects on everyone. It really can. So as we, we, we look out back at kind of the, the broader uh, topic of, you know, redefining the expectations of aging, you know, we kind of talk about a little bit about, you know, the industry and how it needs to um, lean in on kind of what this new model the boomers are going to be pushing is. But what part do you see technology playing in redefining that experience? It's a key part in, in, in every different level. I, you know, we're trying to learn, and I, I'm a big proponent of studying others that aren't in our industry, right? And, and, and I think, you know, how people contact with their and connect with their consumer and their customers. How do they do that? How can we bring that in? And it is all around technology now, virtual, you know, the, I think we're doing a lot what a lot of people are doing with the virtual tours, uh, going into specific rooms and giving the virtual tour. Somebody that's very interested in one, we can, we, we're, we're leveraging technology that way, communication, the Zoom, working differently. You know, I don't, I don't think we're doing anything that is different than anybody else is doing in terms of the global economic environment, but we're learning from others on how to do that. And that's where the data, the AI, you know, the the constant communication, surveying, what can we do better, asking the questions. I, I have found that technology has enabled us to do that so much more, obviously, and, and, and doing more micro surveys and, and saying, and then we're also leveraging technology for the cleaning perspective. You know, we've invested a lot in, in UV lighting and we've invested, you know, the, from the communication tools and, and the, the 98.6 is that new temperature thing where it's facial recognition because, you know, we had to have two or three staff usually 
scanning right. people and doing, we're doing that all electronically now. So we have like maybe one person and, and that's uh, and we're using that on robots. We have a Temi robot that's going out and, and being able to do and interact with residents. So we're doing a lot of things with technology in terms of the whole communication interaction is really where we're focused on. And then of course, there's a, there, there's a part of us that focus on the data and, and, and the results and the outcomes and, and, and how that is looking. So telehealth is obviously a big one as well. And we've realized and recognized the opportunity to go beyond just the doctor call of like, you know, face-to-face doctor, temperature, blood screening. We're really yeah. getting into, you know, wound care or a system. So how do we leverage and and put the infrastructure, the IT infrastructure is another step beyond what you have today. So we're really going all in on on telemedicine and telehealth in terms of wound care and 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 much more acute care and then connecting that with the hospitals. So yeah. I think that's where we're really putting sort of our IT on on some steroids and 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 energizing a lot of a lot of extra capital dollars as well. As, uh, as human resources to make that happen. For sure. Well, and, and, you know, it sounds like your approach is really looking at technology, not as a burden, but an enabler for your team. It, you know, all of these things seem like it would bring more satisfaction maybe to the end user by removing processes or steps or, you know, standing in one spot, taking temperatures all day. Right, exactly. And if it's if it creates a different experience for people, right? And yeah. we can make it a little bit more fun or a little bit less cumbersome. And I think, you know, when I talk about we really look at other industries and how they're doing it, you know, and we're also looking at our, our strategic business partners. And we we're very cautious of using that term that it's very important. So for instance, we have a, a great relationship with Sedexo. But it's beyond they're not just a food company or a micro, um, maintenance or housekeeping or laundry, they're really a partner. And we do fleet management, do electric work with them. Um, but, you know, they're a global company. They were in China. They helped build that hospital that was built in like 20-some days. They saw firsthand. So we, we, we brought them to the table right away, and they could give us sort of a heads up and say, here's what's coming. Here's yeah. what we're seeing, and here's and then also here's what they're doing, so we could help leverage do do a step up. When you talk about the reopening, THW is a, a great partner of ours, and they're global. Well, they brought that to the table. You know, we have you guys at, at NetSmart, which is which is a huge opportunity and, and partnership as well in terms of the standardization of EHR and and my Unity and 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 getting to the KPIs about how we're doing things as a system. So we're really leveraging it to be get better, not just to do today, but we're trying to say what can we do to get better? And, and I think that's the, 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 the exciting part of what we do with technology. Yeah. Uh, it's beyond just the, 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 some of the fun things that you hear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you have a, a history of helping to drive innovation in the, in the space as well. Can you speak about why um, Asbury specifically views, you know, helping to grow technology as part of your your strategy, and you know uh, why you think that's going to help reshape the industry. Sure. One, it's because we have the infrastructure. And when I became CEO, uh, you know, we had this IT company that was sort of doing EHRs and doing some basic stuff, but. I think every one of us would always read. You, you could read any article and look at the bigger world and say technology is the future. Yeah. So I'm like, we've had a we have an asset that we've been investing in for like five or ten years. So how do we really redefine that? And then how does that help us? And 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 the balance we had to create and where I think this is will really help is you have to. 
I struggled, and and I'm 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 as open to talking about my failures as, as successes. <laughs> right. I think that's important for all of us to do. You know, I was really driving innovation, and I was working, and I was pushing hard, and and wanting to do that. But what I realized after about two two or three years of really just having some starts and stops, is that we didn't have the right infrastructure with IT because we had people that couldn't access their email or we had people that couldn't, you know, do some basic things. So they're like, if I can't do this, why am I going to get excited about innovation? So we right. had to step back we need to make sure we, we spent a year really just fixing our infrastructure, moving to the cloud, partnering with, with you all and, and others to say, let's, let's, let's bring everybody in and let's get this grounded. And then we can start thinking. And then that has to be driven by the end user, not by somebody like myself or uh, some other thing or great article you read. You have to talk to those closest to the process, which I'm a firm mm -hmm. believer of. And I think it's my background that growing up as a nursing assistant, they know how to change the business the best. So we're saying, all right, what do you have or what do you, what are your pain points and how can we help fix them? And yeah. then we can bring solutions to them and then we create this this excitement around it, which then helps them create a different experience, which helps change their belief. Yeah. So that's that's where I see technology is a huge role because but you have to start so fundamentally so fundamental. And it's step one. And, and so many times a lot of us like to get to step five, six, or seven. Right. And and my my lesson learned is out of this is you can't. You gotta start with the basics and build on that. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, from my experience on the vendor side, you know, a lot of times I see organizations get really excited about, you know, new technology, new capabilities, and they, to your point, run straight to the end part of the process. And then, you know, they, they'll bolt on, you know, some new fancy piece of, you know, technology, but they don't think about the workflow that they're attaching it to. So, you know, you're trying to enhance the workflow, not add another step to, you know, ideally it would remove, but uh, people often don't take the time to, to stop and say, hey, wait a minute, if we now have this capability, shouldn't we not have to do, you know, all that other stuff? That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly. And then you're also collecting more data. So now we're saying, okay, well, we have data. now I have so much data. And and now the important part is with the data part of this and, and, and AI is saying, not so much what I want. And we've got all this data. We're going to the end. So what can we do to help you make your decisions? You know, what yeah. what pieces? So then we focus the data and the KPIs uh, toward that. And, and, and we're doing that, again, very similar to what we're doing with you all with, in terms of looking at our order entry. We've got these KPIs of how we used to do it. And I know with some of the leveraging this technology and creating that platform, now we're, we're monitoring, you know, the order entries, the admissions assessments, the care planning, the med passes, all yeah. these different things. And now we have something to measure. Yeah. And now we can use that and put that in the hands of those close to the process and give them data. And they're yeah. like, oh, okay, you know, it makes sense now. So right. that's, that's how we're going to start changing things. But again, it's going to start fundamental, very fundamental. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of kind of a change management perspective, you know, people are going to be resistant until you give them kind of the so what that's in it for them, right? Exactly right. Yeah, change their you got to change their experiences in order to change their beliefs. Absolutely, and you know it, it's very clear to me that uh, your organization is both um, being pushed top down with you know priority of you know leveraging technology, but it also sounds like you're getting bottom up as well by including your team in the process. Absolutely, absolutely. That's just so critical, and and that's what I think that then lends itself. And and when you look at 
if you want to do root cause analysis, I think why we've been so successful through this COVID is because we've built these team, this team concept, this 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 system concept. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, we were individual communities in individual mm-hmm. states. We've come a long way, and we still have a long way to go. But we're starting to think of a system. We're starting to leverage the system, and, and but but we're doing it from the ground up. Yeah. And we're not forcing it. We're letting letting that just sort of happen. And some of it has to happen organically. And some of it I would love to have happen faster. Right. At the same time, I've learned enough here then realize that I, some of these things, you just have to let it sort of grow on its own pace while encouraging and supporting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the teams are already probably stressed enough, uh, you know, in the day to day and, you know, the complexities of COVID and trying to, to sprint uh, in terms of change might uh, scare a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, associate engagement, we're, we're big on measuring those scores. And, you know, we just the third, you know, a little bragging here, we did the third year in a row, greatest places to work, cert, you know, yeah. certification through COVID. And I think that says a lot about the leadership and, and, and all the associates, but just as important as the associate engagement is the resident engagement. Yeah. And a lot of times that's, we're taking that to different levels. So as an example, sometimes we engage residents for some surveys and feedback, but when we're making decisions now, uh, especially with trying to reopen, we're saying, okay, at dining, here's how we do. But we've learned some unintended consequences when you when you when you ask the residents, here's what we're going to do, and and just a real quick example is, you know, we said, okay, two couples can sit at a table together. One of these communities said, but what has happened is the widows said, well, then I can't eat with my friends who are married couples because right. um, and it's like, oh. Uh, okay, so let's step back and reassess. So, you know, we, it's it's you have to bring everybody to the table to really help make some of these decisions because there are these. And I think we've gotten a lot smarter about that and I, I think will help us in the long run and one of those things we continue. Yeah, well, that's a, a great example of, you know, making a decision in a, kind of in a vacuum and then, you know, learning as you deploy it. Do you uh, do you have like a, a, a committee or a group of residents that helps drive some of the decision process or, you know, uh, involve them in part of the innovation or technology discussions? Each of our communities have a have a resident association. And then there's also different um, they're calling like PACs, partnership advisory councils and, and different task force that they let dri- that, that are being driven now out of the committees, so the resident committees. Uh, we're, we're looking at an interesting thought because we're looking at creating a system resident council potentially mm-hmm. that I have, you know, a resident from each campus and then meet up here at, the, at our system level or some things along those lines, but we're not there yet. But that's sure. sort of, there's definitely ways for us to be much, uh, much more aggressive and, and proactive in terms of resident engagement at a system level. Yeah. And do you find a willingness from the, the oh. residents to participate? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, there's never any problem, you know, getting feedback or asking for volunteers. And and I think that's a great opportunity, too, because that's a value of living in one of our communities, right? You, yeah. you have that opportunity to continue to give and, in, and, and input. And we want that to happen. And we just it's it's on us to create more avenues for that to, to, to yeah. be much more of a regular daily business. For sure. Well, and, and it makes it feel less like it's um, transactional, more like a, you know, a partnership between you and your, your residents. That's a good way to put it. Absolutely. And then, you know, kind of using that as a, a segue point, how are you using or how do you view your, your business partnerships as a way to help propel, you know, the shift in, in redefining, you know, the expectations of aging? I know you, you touched on a few, but I'd be curious about, you know, how you see that as a strategy moving forward. 
The way I do it is we ask because I think it's very typical to, if you want to say in the technology uh, analogy, most of us use the software at what, 60% of its capability and we don't even exploring. I think we do the same thing with our business partners. We're sort of task oriented and focused on here's some things. So we bring the meetings together. I've been very purposeful that when I talk about the strategic business, I bring them to the round of the table and say, here's my strategic plan. You know, here's where I want to go. How can you help me? What am I not hearing? And, and what am I not seeing? What can you bring to the table? But it's also the other side of saying, what do you want to do and how can we do it? want to do it? Like, you, do you want to pilot something? Do you want to try to see if it's if it maybe has a, a, a different use in senior living? Well, then we'll open our doors to you as well. And if you want to pilot it, we want to try that. So yeah. creating that collaboration and partnerships with those, um, I think is just so critical. And the next step of all this is identifying people who are not at the table and who haven't been thinking of senior living and getting them involved, which is always a struggle. The Googles and Microsofts or, or, yeah. or other companies that talk about it and sort of, but you know, how do we become that partner that they want to say, hey, we'll try this and see if it does ha is, is applicable to senior living. So I think there's lots of ways we can do that a lot better. And you know, we're being very open and transparent about where we want to go, who we are, and what we want to do. And 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 we we pick our business partners to that with that in mind. Yeah. And do you find overall, you know, I, I assume your existing business partners are probably really receptive, but when you're out there on maybe the, the bleeding edge of pulling in, you know, some um, close uh, tie type of, uh, you know, vendors that you, you, you look, because I think like, um, as an example, you guys piloted the Pepper robot, right? Uh -huh. And, you know, explored its functionalities in the space. And, you know, I'm sure there was learning points from it, but was that a hard conversation to bring to them to say, hey, we've got a thought? No, actually it wasn't because it was hard. It was very easy for us to say we got an idea, but it was hard for them to, to Get to say, yeah, all right, here's senior living. We'll try that because a lot, of, again, goes, going back to our earlier conversation, a lot of people don't think about senior living. Yeah. We're an afterthought, and that's where we have to do things better as an industry. If people see us as innovators, as great care management, or or looking to to do new things, then that story is going to get out. But one, two, three of us can't do it by ourselves, and right. and that's why I appreciate these podcasts that, that you're putting on and others because it's helping us tell our story that maybe somebody else will hear it and say, yeah. hey, there are people out there thinking differently. Let's think about that because, as you said, ten thousand a day, right? I mean, it's it's going to get bigger and bigger, and there's yeah. going to be a world of opportunity there. And we're all there's plenty of opportunity for all of us to get into this and, and figure this out. Absolutely. So I think for my my final question for you, and it, it's kind of a great follow up to your statement there. What advice would you give others in the industry who support the fundamental change, but maybe aren't on the edge of really? pushing to, you know, drive, whether it's, um, you know, new models for their, their staff, you know, engaging the residents in a new way, or maybe they're doing all of those things, but they've been thinking about an idea to go and pursue, you know, some new company to come into the space to meet a need. What would you tell them? I would say, don't let what others think stop you. Because I think that's a lot of people, a lot of people say, whether it's the person you want to talk to or whether it's how it's viewed that, look, you know, people are like Pepper. All right. So it didn't work the way we did. And that's as much on, you know, maybe us as it is the Pepper or where our expectations were. Embrace that and learn from it. But you're going to have to try and you're going to have to fail. I think that's the biggest step is don't be afraid of failure. And, and that in our industry is is just uh, such a taboo, taboo 
topic that uh, you have to embrace that. And because then that's what people start seeing. You're trying things. Yeah. A lot of people know about Pepper. So now there's like so now we have the Temi robot. Now we have other opportunities. So I would say, you know, try it, pilot it, but you have to get support of your internal team to do it because if it's just your idea, it's not going to work because you don't have others that have bought into it. And and I have learned that time and time again. It can't just be me. It's got to be everybody and they have to embrace and, and understand to your point, understand the why. Yeah. Very good. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for sharing your passion, giving the examples of how you and Asbury are, are really moving these types of uh, models forward. And, you know, thank you for leading by example to redefine the aging experience. And, you know, thanks again to your staff, uh, to you and everything you guys do to serve the senior living population. I know it's been a trying time and, and you guys have done an amazing job under the circumstances. So thank you again. Well, again, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate you uh, doing these podcasts because I think it's going to help everybody as a whole. So it's been, it's been fun. Absolutely. Thank you. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.